this. They didn't want to drop it on this boy's record. He is a threat. He is stunning. Take that. What a start for Liverpool. Still Madrid. Looks like Shannon. Early in the game. He's entitled to be a little nervous. But was he? You bet your life he wasn't. Miller. Lovely cushion header. But And let me tip my hat to the genesis of this goal. Balotelli, Aguero! All right, we're here in Impact Studios again with top drawer soccer reporter J.R. Eskelson. I am Brooks Lambier. How's it going, J.R.? It's going quite well. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. How was, uh, how was Florida in the Academy Showcase? Florida was very warm. The Academy Showcase was a lot of games in five days, but it was a good experience. I saw a ton of college coaches out there, including the Michigan State staff was down there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's start off with kind of recapping some of the Elite Eight games. I guess we since uh, we can start off with the Michigan State game. Did you watch any of that Michigan State-Providence game? I did. Uh, the Providence third goal was an incredible finish. I actually thought Michigan State was going to push it into overtime when Michigan State was pushing at the end. You kind of just have the feeling, at least when I was watching it, I had the feeling that Michigan State was just going to find that late goal, mainly because all the other games at that point had gone to overtime and had gone to penalty kicks. So it just kind of felt like that year that teams were finding late goals and that other teams were maybe coughing up that one mistake that was being punished. But Providence's keeper came up with a couple of huge saves late, and Providence managed to hold on despite Michigan State jumping on the pressure for much of the second half. I just felt after that first goal in the eighth minute Michigan State had, I felt like they got out of their game. Uh, they're not a team that likes to push for that you know, early kill shot. And I think that's what really hurt them because what we, I think what Travis and I had talked about was that Providence is very good on the counter and they're very fast with their forwards are very fast. And I think that's what caught Michigan state out uh, really early. uh, Or I guess later in that first half, that's why they got the two goals within like a five minute span. I think when you when we figure out counter, and it's different from the way Ohio State plays. I think Ohio State, and I look at Ohio State as one of the main counter teams because they're built as athletes and they just try to sprint past you. I think Providence is a little bit of a disservice to compare them to those types of teams because they they have very technical forwards. They have forwards who can knock the ball around a little bit. Of course, they're trying to break teams down on the counter, especially when they're on the road. And I think it. It'll probably be a similar situation in college, Jeff, because they're going to go against a very talented UCLA team. But the Providence forwards are very talented. They have one of the best attacking forces in the country, and those guys can score from multiple situations. And I think that's what allowed Providence to reach this part of the tournament. And it's also the fact they've had a pretty strong defense, along with a very good goalkeeper, who's coming up with some pretty good saves for the team. Yeah, no, it's, I kind of felt the same way. Uh, you know, once they were up 3-1, it was going to be hard for Michigan State to come back and, and tie the game. They almost did. Uh, you know, credit to Jay Chapman for for the second goal. Uh, you know, it was great to see Adam Montague score one early and then almost had the game-tying one at the end there. Uh, but credit to Providence. Very, very good team. Uh, coach, very good guy uh, when we were interviewing him in the press conference after the game. The Machado brothers were very good as well. And uh, they're not actually brothers. Uh, oh, are they not actually brothers? 
No, one's actually from Rhode Island, the other one's from Brazil, okay. but they have the same last name. Okay. Oh, well, well yeah. cre- credit to the Machados then. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah. What's the general feeling around Michigan State right now? I feel like Jay Chapman probably has some options after the season. There's probably a few talented seniors who are going to be moving on. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what, what would you say is the environment around Michigan State? Do you think there's going to be a lot of change heading into 2015? Man, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. I don't know what Jay's going to do. Um, cause Travis did email me that article from the daily UK about how he's getting scouted by EPL teams, uh, as well as Toronto FC is a, he's a homegrown player. I don't know what's going to happen. I think Fatai is going to go to the MLS combine. I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if, if you, you'd be surprised if Adam Montague went just because of his size and what he kind of offers as a, as a forward, I'm not saying yeah. he's a starting forward in the MLS, but he, I think the kid at least deserves a shot to be drafted. If do you, right. do you agree? Yeah, I, I see that too. I think some teams probably might take a chance on him in the later rounds and maybe even loan him out to like their USL team and just see if anything develops. But like you mentioned, he has the size and he has will and the technical ability to make a team interested enough to take a chance on him. I I fully expect him to be at the combine at least. Yeah, you know, and then I think. I know Ryan Keener is going to dental school, so it's not he's not going to go pro. Um, and I know Tim Kreutz, I think he's got a job lined up, and uh, he has a uh, job in Chicago lined up. I think I know you guys had mentioned that possibly he could go to the MLS draft. I don't know if he want if he's going to get invited to MLS Combine, um, but I just think I think it's just time for Tim to kind of step away from soccer because he has had a lot of injuries in the past, and you know I think I think he realizes that I think he's probably going to step away. But he he was he's been a spark for Michigan State. But Ty, I think if Jay Chapman doesn't go, he is their best option to get drafted. You know, the highest in the MLS draft because I think Batai brings a lot to the table. Very versatile, uh, very good defensive player. Plays very good balls out of the back. Um, uh, what's your kind of take on Batai? I mean, this might be sacrilegious, but I like Fatai better than Jay Chapman. I, I think he's going to be a better professional player. I think he feels more roles. I think he has a better makeup and a better mentality of a pro. I think Jay drifts out of the game a little bit too much, and we talked about this way back in one of our earlier podcasts. And there's quality to Jay Chapman's game. He, he could feature on a very good team that's technical that can get him the ball on his feet that can showcase his runs, but. Fatai is the type of player that fits in with MLS. And I I don't know why, but he doesn't get enough publicity for that. If, if you watch MLS a lot, Fatai reminds me of a Mobi Okugo. I, I think he does these things at laying the ball back, at distributing the ball, at helping his team keep possession. He also can be that shielding force in front of a back four. And I think those are the qualities that are going to stand out. I think if MLS teams weren't very good at scouting, and for the most part, MLS teams aren't very good at scouting. They'll get a pleasant surprise when they see Fatai play at the Combine. I mean, we've already seen Fatai be able to compete against MLS talent when he plays for the Timbers U23 team, and mm-hmm. I, I, I think that quality is still there. I don't think there's anything that says that quality is not there. So I fully expect him to go in the first round, and I think it should be a huge surprise if he doesn't. This draft isn't that deep in terms of senior talent. And Fatai should be close to the top of the list in terms of the players that are available from that class. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as Jay Chapman, the thing I believe, I think Jay needs to come back for another year. I think there's some things he needs to work on. He, uh, The funny thing is, he decides 
all of a sudden to break out and be good Jay Chapman in the NCAA tournament, but I didn't see that in the in the, in the regular season. He was doing yeah. things in the tournament that it was like, you know, he'd take a touch around a guy or through two people, but he's not consistent. He needs to show that consistency, and he's not yeah. he's not ready for, and he needs to build some muscle. He's too he's too uh, lean. He needs to build some muscle in his in his upper and his upper body. Because uh, I think he's going to get pushed around if he goes over. It definitely if he goes overseas, and definitely if he goes to the MLS. Yeah, I might be remembering the thing correctly, but wasn't it like this last year during the call during the run during the NCAA tournament? Did Jay kind of have a very good tournament and sort of drove the hype for him? Yeah, he and then, did. And then he fell off during the regular season, and now he does it again this year. Yeah, he did. He, I mean, he got the he got the goal to put them down two one against Notre Dame. It was a very good goal. I just think as it, it doesn't matter if you're going NFL draft, NBA draft, or whatnot. Like you need to show the scouts and the teams that you're a consistent player. And yes, he's up for the Matt Kerman Trophy. He's a, he's one of the finalists or semifinalists. But I think another year in college would do him very good and to work on certain things. And yeah, and from your statement, yeah, he he did have a very good postseason last year, but he didn't he didn't have quite as good of a regular season. His freshman year, he had a pretty good regular season, but it's an inconsistency. I think that, that just scares me. And I think, you know, he's thrown away a lot. If he, if he goes to the MLS draft this year. Yeah. And I think the Spartans will still be pretty good next year. I mean, back then it's back. I, you return a couple of talented freshmen. So I, I, I mean, I, I don't think he'll be devoid of talent. if He returns for another year. And for the reasons you mentioned, it wouldn't be a bad idea for him to come back to the Spartans for one more season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can move Jimmy Fiscus to a center back position. You can leave. You can put Andrew Herr on his right spot on the right back. You have Brad Santala, who's who's played in and out with Jimmy on in left back, or Brad can play in in the middle. I know they do have uh, a kid named Connor Corrigan coming in from the Indiana Fire. Is have you seen him? You know, I saw Indiana Fire play, but I don't remember him. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then as far as the other freshmen, Ken Krilicki can come in and fill in the midfield. Uh, Michael Marcantanini has shown some promise. Um, he's still really young, but someone to throw in the offense. Brian Winterfeld's very good. I mean, their sec- their bench team, from what I talked to the guys, gave them a very good run for their money every practice. You know, during the during the season. So I think they'll be good. I I think people won't like to pick them because of how much they've lost. But I think yeah. they can be a very much a surprise team in the Big Ten next year. It'll be interesting. I mean, the coaching staff did a great job building a culture there and continuing to build off the season, the previous year's successes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they've established some sort of program there and done a good job in building on top of it each year. Yep, and who knows, maybe they'll get a few transfers. Like, they got Zach Carroll and um, another guy from LIU Brooklyn. Uh, so, you know, maybe they'll get some this year. Just I just think with the success they've had two years in a row, two, two, elite, two elite eights, I think that really helps your program and it'll make kids want to transfer and who knows, maybe some senior or junior will make a last-minute decision and decommit from somewhere and commit to Michigan State. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's always a possibility. And it is an attractive option for players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's move over to the um, other game on the other side of bracket. We had Virginia and Georgetown. I felt like Georgetown, from looking at the stats, really controlled that game until Virginia, with the last minute of the game, scored a game-tying goal to put it into penalty kicks. Wow, yes. Um, Virginia, yeah. But I don't know if they had any other shots in the second half. I, I mean, I watched the game 
while I was also watching Michigan State, they were playing at the same time pretty much. And it just it seemed like Georgetown had control of the game, but then they did a terrible job at trying to kill off like the last five minutes of the game. They sort of sat a little too far back, and Virginia just started pushing a little bit more forward, a little bit more forward, and they managed to score on the one good chance that they had, and that's all sometimes you need. It was a little bit of a defensive breakdown by Georgetown. They gave Virginia way too much space in the box not service, and Virginia knocked the ball down for an on-ring player to knock it in, and that's all it really takes. And Virginia has been to College Cup before. They sort of know how to get there, and they sort of know what it's going to take to get there. And I, I think Virginia has a little bit of a secret weapon in how they analyze the game. They they don't necessarily waste their time on some shots that aren't very successful. They try to get the ball into spots that are going to be very successful, and that's maybe why sometimes you look at their stats and you say, how are they winning these games? But they're winning the games because they're playing their players in good positions to score. They're, they're playing plays together that will help their team at the, at the highest level compete. And Virginia's played, the I believe, last two rounds and part of the second round without their star center mid, Eric Berg, who's the best player on the team by far. And they've been able to win games against Notre Dame and Georgetown now without Bird, and that's pretty impressive. I'm not sure if Bird will be back in time for the College Cup game, and a groin injury probably isn't going to make him 100%, even if he is able to play, so he's probably not going to be at full strength. But the fact that they've been able to compete without him is a huge compliment to the depth of that team and to the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I, 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 Virginia just, like you said, I you, against Notre Dame, they finally broke that curse, and they, they beat him finally, and then... You know, the, they hung in with Georgetown, a very good Big East team. I and mean, I don't think people realize how good the Big East was this year. They had three teams in, in the Elite Eight. I mean, Georgetown is a very good team. Creighton was a very good team as well. They've stayed within the top 10 and 15 pretty much the whole season. So, yeah. I mean, credit to the Big East for, for you know, developing these very good teams and, and, you know, just coming to the Elite Eight and showing what they can do. Yeah, definitely, and. I mean, it's it's been a it's been a push on the Big East teams. They, they've had to compete against each other all year, so it really gets those teams ready for these seasons. But these things are so cyclical. I mean, next year Big East might only have one team, so it it changes so quickly. But this year it's definitely been a great showcase for the Big East and for the quality in that league. I guess moving on to the Creighton UMBC game in the Elite Eight. Uh, man, the uh, the Retrievers are starting to look like the Golden Retrievers now for UMBC. <laughs> Just uh, oh yeah. I, yeah, they're shocking the world. I feel like in college soccer, it's, it's pretty incredible what they're doing right now. No one's ever done this before. Gone on the road and won in every single round, and they've yet to give up a goal as well. And we're talking about playing against Wake Forest, Maryland, Louisville, and then Creighton. That's an impressive foursome of teams to play against and not give up a goal. And the the UMBC goalkeeper stepped into the net. I think it was in the fourth or fifth game of the season. I mean, he's only lost one game since then. So the Retrievers last season were a very good team, and they didn't have that much success in the postseason. And I think that added chip to the shoulder. And this year it seems like a little bit of magic dust has helped them, but it's also that they sort of gained that experience in the postseason and figured out how to make things work. I mean, they've advanced on penalty kicks twice, and they've advanced 1-0 in their other two games. So everything's been close, but it's credit to their defense and to their goalkeeper. And 
for keeping everything organized. There's limited chances for the other team. They're not giving that many looks on goal, and they're getting a little bit of luck with players maybe missing shots that you'd expect to see go in. And that's all you sort of see for a postseason run. We're talking about winning four games to get to college cap if you're an unseeded team. So UMBC's done that. They've rode that wave. They have some talent on that team. And they also have some talent going into the attack. We haven't seen much of it because they haven't scored many goals. But they do have players that can put the ball away if they get the opportunity. Yep. And the opportunities have been limited because of the quality teams they've played against. But I, I think at College Cup, you'll see UMBC keep like the the defensively organized team, and they'll try to keep everything close. They won't give up many chances. It won't make that attractive of a game, but it's still kind of great to root for this team that I don't think most people even know UMBC is a school. So it's kind of incredible that they're at this stage. Yes, it is. I've never heard of them before, so they're making a splash on the scene here. Uh, and then from your from the West Coast, where you're at, um, you know, the UNC-UCLA game made up for a pretty interesting game. UCLA was up 3-1, and UNC gets two goals within a minute, uh, less than a minute apart in the 78th and uh, pretty much the 78th minute here. Uh, you know, 77-36, they scored then exactly in the 78th minute. Uh, did you watch that game? Yeah, so UCLA has a tendency to fall into traps of where they compound on their own errors. And it's not necessarily the same player, but sometimes it is. And they're giving up the ball one time, and then 10 seconds later they're doing it again. And they, they've had trouble trying to ride through those waves. And they haven't had a game recently where they've been able to easily see out a result. Of course, it's playing against difficult teams, but UCLA was up a man starting somewhere around the 20th minute. I'm not sure on the exact minute, but somewhere around the 20th minute. So they had North Carolina playing down a man, chasing the game for a vast majority of that game. And they still coughed up two goals despite having a 3-1 lead. And those aren't good things that you look for for a team. But UCLA advances to College Cup because they survived in the penalty kicks. And they're the highest seeded team going into College Cup. So I think everyone's going to pencil them in as favorites. But there is still some caution with this team because of how easily they can give up leads. It's not a good trait to have, and I think the Bruins really need to sharpen up the defense. But most of the focus this season from the utility coaching staff was limiting the amount of goals they gave up. And they haven't met that goal, but they've still been able to win games. I think they really need to focus on it. And some of it's because they haven't had their whole defense the whole season. Nathan Smith broke his leg, I believe, sometime in October when they played against Washington, or maybe they'll play September 1-1. And he was the starting right back for the team. Uh, he missed the first few games of the season because of just coming back from an injury as well. So they really never really have the, the starting A defense for UCLA, and they've now been switching in players at the outside back positions to try to find the right chemistry. I think they're close to the right chemistry right now, but they're still giving up these goals, which is a big concern. But they're in college cup, so they've, they've definitely accomplished what they set out to do for much of the season. They still two wins away from their ultimate goal, but it's, it's a huge accomplishment for them. Now, I've read an article on Leo Stoll's, I think, Soccer America wrote on him. Uh, the kid's impressive. And, uh, from Germany, you know, played a uh, little professional soccer over there, or at least in the youth academy, um, comes over, starts at George Washington University, then transfers to UCLA. We've heard a lot about Leo Stoll's, but what about this freshman, Abu Donladi? Uh I know Travis Clark said, 
He's a very good player. Usually, you know, one of the best players on the field at at times. Uh, very fast. What do you make of him? I'm Derek Travis. I'm always the best player on the field at all times. <laughs> I don't know where Travis is coming off. Okay. Alvin um, Amadi is from the Right to Dream program, and for people with some familiarity with college soccer, Ema Boateng, who played at UCSB two years ago, was also from the same program, and Josh Yarrow, the, the star center back for Georgetown, is also from the same program. Mm-hmm. They're all from my neck of the woods. They all played high school soccer around here. Abu Dhamali is regarded as the most talented of the three. He has qualities to his game that you don't see from teenagers. He's extremely dynamic on the ball. He has unbelievable control. He also has the speed that's incredible. I think if anyone saw the North Carolina, he outraced the North Carolina defense over the course of 60 yards while he was dribbling the ball and they were running without a ball on their foot. <laughs> so he's an athlete, but he's also an amazing soccer player. And I think it's more important to think of him as an amazing soccer player. He was never really healthy this season. He rolled his ankle playing in PDL over the summer, and it slowed down his recovery process. And while he was still recovering from that, he played with his club team to win the national championship. After that, he went off to England to have a trial with a professional team. And he didn't even pass a physical while he was in England trying out for that team. So he wasn't even close to healthy at that point. He comes back to Westwood and he starts his school with UCLA. And they had to take him so slowly through the process to get him back on the field that he wasn't involved with a lot of the early training sessions. So it took a long time for UCLA players to really figure out what they had. Like, the UCLA coaches knew what they had. It was the UCLA players who were like, whoa, whoa, this kid could be something special. And when they started to realize that, it's come in small doses because he's so far behind it on fitness. So you're trying to get to these points where you're having this amazing player and the UCLA coaches are still slowly bringing him along because they don't want to push him to 100% or play him the full 90 minutes because he's still not all the way there in terms of the fitness level. But the reason why North Carolina scores those two goals is because UCLA takes Abu off the field. Abu's off the field. UCLA doesn't have that amazing option up top anymore. And North Carolina can close the field and put pressure immediately on them. So he is the ultimate difference maker. I don't want to take anything away from Leo Stoles because Top George Soccer and myself are huge fans of Leo Stoles. We think he's an amazing player. I think he's going to be great at MLS. This and that, everything else you want to add to it. But Abu Dhanmari is that special once-in-a-generation talent that people are going to see at college because be like, whoa, where did this kid come from? And I, I think if you've never seen UCLA play this season, you're in for a real treat. He's going to be close to 100% fitness by the time the ball kicks off and carry North Carolina. And I think he'll end up playing the full game against Providence, and Providence is going to have a hard time trying to stop him. As much as I'm going to sing his praises right now, I, I, I think it's the vast, the most important thing to remember that he hasn't been able to stay healthy for a while. I don't think he was ever healthy for a full season in high school. He hasn't been healthy for a full season in college. It's, it's a grind-on player, and I think that's what's going to take away from him at the professional level is because he just doesn't have that skill that is to be able to stay healthy all the time. But he is one of the players you should definitely watch out for at College Cup. Okay. All right. I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see him play then on Friday. All right. Well, let's let's get into the 
College Cup then. Uh, to kick it off, we have Virginia and UMBC on Friday uh, for the first game of the College Cup. Who do you like in that game? Oh, uh, wow. I don't like that game. Um, I, I, For a neutral perspective, I think you want to root for Virginia at some level because I think they'd make a more entertaining final. But I think everyone's going to go for the Cinderella story of UMBC. And that's fine. I mean, it's a Cinderella story. It's an amazing story that they're at this stage. But both these teams are relatively conservative. And I don't think it's going to be a very clean or a very attractive game. I, I think it's going to be a lot of sit back, a lot of maybe dump the ball forward and help the other team make some mistakes. Um, I, I, I think there's some quality on each team, but I don't think it's the type of quality that's going to turn into attractive soccer. I think this game, like if I have to make a projection, I think it's going to be a scoreless game. I think it's going to end up going to penalty kicks. And that's basically a flip of the coin. I mean, UMBC has quite a bit of experience with telling us to this stage, so maybe they're better at picking heads or tails. But I, I don't think it's a, it's a terribly enticing matchup to try to convince the neutral person to watch that, that game. And I, I think this is all due respect to these two teams because it's not easy making it to this stage by any means. But from what I've seen from the two teams up to this point of the season, it's, it doesn't set up to be a matchup where... I know there's going to be goals. I just think both these teams rely on their defense to make sure they're advancing, and I think that's not going to be too attractive. I agree with you. I I just think the way these teams have played, uh, you know, just looking at the stat sheets from their past games, I think this is going to go PKs. And, you know, maybe UMBC has the advantage because they've been in more PK games in this tournament than Virginia has. So it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, like Travis and you and, you know, we've talked about is – the keeper and the defense just need to make a couple big plays, and that keeps you in the game in the NCAA tournament for uh, men's college soccer. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in that game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Callie Brown, the Virginia goalkeeper, 6'5". So, I mean, he has a huge advantage when you go into penalty kicks just because he can cover more area of the goal. But the UMBC goalkeeper... The, the guy's incredible. I mean, I think he's 13-1-3 at this point, or maybe 12-1-3. His, his record's outstanding for what he's done. So it, it, it's somewhat of a fascinating statistical matchup, but in terms of the attractiveness of the way each team plays, it's not terribly great. And then moving over to the game on the later game on Friday at 7.30 p.m., it kicks off on ESPNU, we have Providence-UCLA, the better game of the of the two, you know, you just talked about Abu Nanladi and you know UCLA and how they've made mistakes, and we've talked about Providence and how they looked really good offensively against Michigan State. Is it UCLA's to lose this game? Yes, uh, I say that with respect to Providence, but UCLA has an advantage at pretty much every position, and they should be the easy favorite in this game. UCLA has the quality players to, to see out this type of result. They, they haven't really done it yet, but I, I think the Bruins are going to approach this game with the right mindset to get a result from this. I think Providence has a little bit lacking in the defensive third, and I, I think Don Lottie and Leo Stoles will expose that. I think Providence's best chance 
is trying to go at them punch for punch and trying to just score as many goals as UCLA can put in. I, I think Providence has the opportunity to exploit the UCLA defense at some level. I, I think Providence has the attacking talent that's going to make life a little bit difficult on UCLA goalkeeper Earl Edwards. And I think this game could turn into a high-scoring game. But I think UCLA has probably learned enough from that North Carolina result to realize that they need to see out the game. And I think they'll end up maybe not rotating players as frequently as they did in the quarterfinal game. I think maybe they'll stick with their 11 for longer stretches and hope that they build a rhythm long enough to hold on to the result and maybe keep this like a 2-1 game or a 1-0 game if they can. I don't think UCLA wants to get into a high scoring affair with Providence. I think they want to keep it kind of tight, and I think they're capable of doing that. Yeah, I agree. After seeing Providence play Michigan State, you don't want to get into a high scoring affair especially if you're down, you know, 3-1, you know, 2-0, 2-1. It's not easy to come back against this Providence team because they'll drop their forward back in, into the central midfield and just defend for their lives. And, you know, I, I agree. I think UCLA doesn't want to get into a game like that, and they want to keep it close and just edge them out. Uh, so it sounds like you like UCLA advancing, and then you like Virginia advancing to the final? Yeah, which is kind of like taking the traditional powers and just saying, through you to the Cinderella's, but I, it, just, it just seems like experience plays even, plays such a huge part in College Cup. I, I don't think Jorge Salcedo, the UCLA coach, has ever lost in a College Cup semifinal. So I, I, I think he, he knows how to navigate this game. I think it's the, the final that's tricky, and Virginia was here last year, right? Mm-hmm. I think they just have a little bit too much for UMBC. I want to see UMBC's run continue, but I, I just think Virginia has a little bit too much for the Retrievers. Yeah. Well, and ACC finds their way into the college for the final game, as usual, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so between those two teams, then, UCLA and Virginia, very defensive game, or is it, again, is it UCLA's to lose? Uh, I mean, Travis pointed this out with the women's college stuff. When you play like this, the setup, when you play the the uh, the game Friday and the game Sunday and you don't have much of a break, it's really hard to get that turnaround and you see a lost sloppy play in the championship game just because you, you don't have this. This isn't a normal situation for a college season to play a high-level game on a Friday night and a high-level game on a, on a Sunday morning. That, that doesn't happen a lot. So I, I think that's what's going to contribute to maybe a tight game in the championship. I think that, assuming UCLA advances, that provides the opportunity for Abu Dhabi to really stand out because he has that speed to just catch any team on a counterattack. And the majority of his goals have been from maybe catching a team sleeping for a second and speeding past the player, either on a counterattack or just because he slips behind a thing, a player on a, on a ball that was played in by Leo Souls. Either way, but I, I think for Virginia, they have to be wary of that and. After they're probably going off the battle with UMBC a lot on Friday night, it's going to be hard to get that sort of turnaround. I, I think it's still going to be close. I think UCLA is going to be the favorite. I, I picked them earlier when we did our college cup predictions, mm-hmm. and I think I'm just going to end up staying with it. I, I think UCLA has what it takes to, to win at this stage, and the talent on that team is just too hard to overlook. I agree. I, I picked UCLA as well. I from everything I've read to the players they have and from what you guys have written, I, I really like UCLA. I just 
I there's just too much talent. I feel like for them not to win the College Cup this year. Yeah, and the incredible thing about UCLA is, as I mentioned earlier, Nathan Smith broke his leg. He'd be starting at the stage, and say Adekoya would also be starting at the stage, and he also broke his leg. He was a freshman for the Seattle Founders Academy. Just an incredible player, and if they would have had Adekoya and Abu Dhabi up top, it would have been the fastest forward duo in college soccer history, probably. They're just two incredible athletes, and I think they only played together for maybe one or two games. They're roommates. They're great friends. They wanted to play together, but it just hasn't worked out for them this season. So I, I think for UCLA, it's just amazing that they've made it this far with the injuries they've also had to endure. I'm sure every team has had to sit through those types of injuries. I know Virginia's battling through without Eric Furr, their senior captain, and I'm sure Providence and UMBC also have injuries. So. Credit to all those coaching staff for keeping their, their squads alive at this point. Uh, I guess looking back at this NCAA men's soccer tournament, has this been one of the strangest or craziest tournaments you've ever seen before? Yeah, and I think the season sort of reflected it. I mean, throughout the season, we sort of looked at the top 10 teams, and there was a lot of change. I mean, it seemed like every week, like a top one or two team was losing to some unranked team. And I think there was just a lot of parity this year. There was no team that really stood out. And I think college soccer is going through a bit of an era where they're losing out on a bunch of domestic players from staying around for a long time in college soccer. And it's probably making it a little bit more difficult on colleges to build programs. I think that's why you sort of see uh, higher dependence on international players than we've seen in the past just because those international players are sticking around for longer. We talked about Providence having one Machado brother, a.k.a. brother, from Brazil, and they have another talented player from Germany on the roster. Uh, Virginia has a talented midfielder from Guatemala. I I just think the international way is is sort of changing the way college soccer is going, and I think it's creating more parity, too, because scouting and recruiting players from international from other countries is, is more difficult than scouting the domestic league. Because in the development economy where most colleges get their, their players, everyone sort of has a pretty good idea of who the best players are from the development academy. All colleges who are good at their job know who the best players are. But when you're talking about some kids from Sweden or some kid from Germany or some kid from England, it's a lot more difficult to know who these players are, and that that opens the door for other schools, maybe lower-ranked schools, to pick up these types of players and to make themselves competitive. And I think that's what's sort of changing college soccer right now, and it's what's making it a little bit easier for unranked teams or unknown teams to sort of step up and take some of the limelight. And I think that's what you're going to see in the future, too, is is there's going to be programs that are built more with international players that are going to become more successful because of this. And this college cup run has been fueled by upsets. Providence probably shouldn't have made as far as they did. And UMBC is definitely a huge surprise considering the way Maryland was playing at the end of the season. I think everyone was picking Maryland to make college cup. And UMBC just knocked them off. And this, this level of parity is apparent in that because Maryland lost out on their best players, on their best recruits, because two of them signed professional contracts. And that really hurts the team because you have to to completely reorganize how you're going to play. And 
I think that plays a huge role this year, and I think it's going to play a huge role in the future too. Uh, last two questions: U.S. soccer, uh, U.S. soccer is really trying to work with the NCAA to get a year-long season for college soccer. Uh, I guess A, do you think that'll happen? And B, will it help improve college soccer? I, I want nothing more than to see that happen. And I want nothing more than to see that happen in the next five years. I think it's, it's a thing that if you talk to college coaches about, some days they're very positive about it, and other days they're, they're pretty down on it. And it sort of reflects the way college sports goes. College soccer doesn't get a ton of money. The, the funding from each athletic department isn't necessarily that great. So it, it's hard to envision a scenario where colleges would sign off on adding a bigger budget to the college soccer programs so they can expand when there's very few college soccer programs making money right now. I, I think that's the biggest hurdle that college soccer needs to clear in order to move into an expanded season. I think it would greatly help the quality of college soccer. I think if you talk to coaches, most of them would talk about the player development and the ability to work with players more. I I think at a more immediate stage, I think college U.S. soccer should push NCAA more to lift the restrictions on college soccer programs in the spring in terms of how much a coach can work with players on the ball and work with them in terms of tactics, in terms of being on the field. There's so many restrictions right now, and NCAA does it because they're trying to make sure these players have that break in the offseason and they spend that time studying and spend that time nourishing their minds, but... They're also have, they also have these fitness programs that spend a certain amount of time in the weight room. So it, it goes hand in hand. You're, you're requiring the players basically to be in the weight room to stay on the team, but it'd almost be better if U.S. soccer helped to push college soccer towards spending more time on the field than having these restrictions on the amount of time they have on the field. I think it's going to be a huge, huge hurdle to clear to get them to lift the research is about having two seasons and to incorporate a long calendar. I think that it's ambitious, and U.S. soccer, as much pull as they have, it's going to be tough to convince NCAA to really take what they say for, for granted because it's going to take a huge financial burden on those teams. And what your hope is is that these colleges look at it as an investment for the future and an investment for their schools because schools benefit from having those sports programs, but it's a really, really difficult idea to sell, and with college sports heading in the direction it's heading with full-time four-year guaranteed scholarships, I don't know how many colleges really want to invest even more money into their athletic departments because of how much money they're about to invest into student athletes in the near future, so... I want it to happen, but some days I'm pretty pessimistic that on the idea it will happen. No, I, I've talked to some people in the Michigan State Athletic Department, and they've said the same thing. It's 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 money that is really the big factor, uh, especially when, you know, in these northern states, when you don't know how long winter's going to go. And, you know, that already delays baseball and softball season because, uh, you know, last year the MSU softball and baseball teams had to literally play away games that should have been home games because there's still snow on the ground here because of the weather. 
So, you know, that factors into the budget money, you know, and then that just plays into, you know, can they play home games in northern states when the the weather's so unpredictable? And, you know, plus whenever they put the NCAA championship between all the other spring sports, I mean, there's a lot to deal with on the money side of things. Yeah, I, and that's what it all comes down to, right? I mean, money's up the root of all things. So uh, it's, it's, it's a great idea, and it's a great proposal, and it's exciting to see it sort of get attention. I, I think when we sort of see it start getting more attention from even higher-ranking individuals, that it'll start to be more optimistic about it. But until then, it's, it's, it's really a difficult one to say, this is going to happen, this is something you should be excited about. Uh, and the final question is, we have the Matt Kerman Trophy, which is the Heisman Trophy of college soccer. Uh, we have a lot of finalists. Uh, Jay Chapman, junior midfielder from Michigan State, is one of them. Who do you see possibly winning the Matt Kerman Trophy this year? It, it, it's one of those years where you really have no idea because it's so open. And the, the field for the Herman includes a lot of good players, but there's been very few exceptional players this year. I think the list would be pretty short. And uh, we discussed earlier my reservations with Chapman, and I think the only player I really look at to say he was exceptional this year and he vastly exceeded what anyone would have thought would be Alex Bono, the goalkeeper from Syracuse. Mm-hmm. But goalkeepers never win the O's awards. For whatever reason, college coaches just don't want to vote for goalkeepers. I, I think if I had a vote, I'd probably end up voting for Alex Stoner just because of what he meant for the Syracuse program and what he sort of did for that team consistently throughout the season, which was basically for a Syracuse team, which was good, and just a Syracuse team that was one of the best in the country. I think other players I'd look at would probably be Josh Yarrow, the Georgetown center back. I think he did a lot of things that were really positive, and I know he gets overlooked a lot, even though people talk about him a lot, but Leo Stoltz had a very good year for UCLA, and UCLA is in college cup, and I think for all the hype Leo Stoltz had before the season as one of the favorites for the Mac Herman, it's, it's sort of playing against them. I think there was some higher expectation he'd vastly exceed his last year's numbers, and he's sort of been even with those numbers, maybe a little bit down below, but He's carried this UCLA team to College Cup while there's been injuries around him, and I think those would be my three finalists. If I had the vote, I'd still stick with Bono, but it wouldn't surprise me if anyone else won. It's just been that type of year with college soccer. Okay. All right, well, that was uh, you know good talk about the College Cup and then you know possibly NCAA soccer switching to you know, a year-long schedule, well, you know, like you said, it'll, it's going to take a while. Um, money's a big issue for that. And then, you know, interesting to see who might win the Matt Kerman Trophy. Uh, JR, appreciate all the time you've taken this fall season to come and uh, talk about Big Ten men's soccer and the College Cup. And, you know, hopefully we can, uh, when the MLS draft or combine comes around, uh, I'm sure some of you guys, will, you know, you, Travis, or Will will go down there and look at the combine. Uh, we should talk about the combine and then uh, make some pr- uh, predictions for the MLS draft. That works for me. Thanks for having me, Brooks. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Jar. You take it easy. You too. Thank you.